four of the uh, first Christmas carols, and that in Gospel of Luke, Luke records uh, four songs that were sung. Uh, around the time of Christ's birth. And so we've been looking at that from the idea of, of the first Christmas carols ever sang. We've looked at Mary's song. We've looked at Zachariah's song. And today we will look at the angel's song on the very day or night of our Savior's birth. Uh, our, our thoughts for this is to uh, see biblically the importance of Christ's birth and, and what that means for you and I today and for all the world, but also then to, to become a part of that. We do not have a stable here. We do not have a star shining over heaven. But just as much as he was born then, he is alive today. And he is the Savior of the world. And rightfully so. His children ought to lift their voices high and join with the angels and join with Mary and join with Zacharias. We sing praises to God. I'm especially interested in this morning because we'll see this morning angels singing praises to God for a message of salvation. Say, so, well, what's interesting about that? What's interesting about that is an angel can't be saved. An angel needs no salvation. And yet the angels are singing praises over the subject of salvation that has absolutely nothing to do with them. Well, why are they doing that? Because God need be praised for his plan of salvation. Even though the angels would not receive salvation, it was a wonderful plan. And I'll go so far as to say it was the only plan that could purchase man's lost souls. And so the angels on that night began to join their voices and lift them high and sing the angel's song. Read with me, if you will, beginning in Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And we find there that Luke records for us, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And he continues to record there for us, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. Let me just stop for a minute. Why would they need a sign? Well, certainly in a town, even though Bethlehem is not like Jerusalem, but certainly even in a small town like Bethlehem, this would not be the only baby that would be born on that night. So the shepherds are going to go searching for a particular baby, but they need information as to which baby it is that's going to be the Christ. So the angel says, this will be a sign unto you. You will know that you have found the baby when? When you find a baby that is wrapped in swaddling clothes, now mind you, that's not unnormal either. In that time, every baby would have been wrapped in swaddling clothes, but here's the thing, this baby, this particular baby who is going to be the hope of Israel, who is going to be the hope of all the world, this baby who is the Son of God, who is God incarnate, God living among us, Emmanuel, this baby whom you will call Jesus, for he will save his people from the sins, this baby will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. A feeding trough. 
for the animals. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. They were praising God and they were saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Father, we do come before you this morning. Lord, we're so sorrowful for what mankind has done to this time of the season. The way we've commercialized it, the way we've turned it into uh, a, a thermometer on the economy of our land. and Father, the way we've gotten so caught up in everything that we've forgotten it's all about your love and your plan of salvation. It's all about your grace. It's all about your mercy. It's all about your Son who came to suffer and to seek and to save that which was lost. And it's all about those of us that are your children rejoicing in that, but going and telling a lost and dying world that their only hope Salvation is only available in Christ Jesus. Father, help us that we might join with the angels, join with Mary, join with Zechariah, and join with Simeon in singing praises and announcing to the world that God has arrived in flesh, that he might die in the flesh that he might live again, and that he might present his blood to you as an acceptable sacrifice for our sins, that we might have forgiveness. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. I mentioned to you as we began this morning, and I welcomed you after the first song, that 700 years before this night, an almost unknown prophet began to write. The prophet Micah began to write, and we read that passage in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, how that, that Bethlehem, uh, uh, an obscure town, a small town, not, not the, the seat of the county or, or certainly not the capital of, of the state, but just a kind of a, uh, we might call it in Arkansas, a podunk town. Y'all ever been to a podunk town? Well, that's, how, that's how Micah describes Bethlehem. And he says that out of Bethlehem, would come a Savior. Now, I, I want you to think with me this morning how all this came to be. Not only does the Bible tell us long before it happened that Christ would be born in Bethlehem, but it also gives us an indication of the time that the Messiah would be born. For in the book of, uh, of Daniel, Daniel records uh, a, a revelation, a vision from God, and, and he sets a timetable about 77s. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but there were 77-year uh, periods, and that 69 of those had already come. And he said that we would be able to measure from the time of the command to go back and rebuild the temple until the cutting off of the Messiah would be that 69 seven-year periods. And so you could back up from the time, or you could actually you could go forward from the command to rebuild the temple, and you could get real close as to when that may have been. And what I want you to see this morning is as we begin to look towards this God of salvation, 
I want you to understand this morning that, yes, God is a great God, a powerful God, and we sometimes stand in awe of his power, and we stand in awe of the miracles that he's performed. But sometimes I think we overlook just the, we want to call it the simple providential care of God, that he's just simply at work, and most of us pay no attention to it. For example, why do you suppose that Joseph and Mary, outside of, of Micah, why do you suppose that Joseph and Mary would all of a sudden, at the point where Mary is nine months pregnant, all right? Why do you suppose that they would decide when she is nine months pregnant, I don't know, um, what do you feel like doing today? Well, I don't know, I kind of thought about getting on the donkey and going up to, you know, to Bethlehem. It's only about a 90-mile ride on a donkey. No. I remember, and remember now, this is Mary's first child. I remember when I, I was at the hospital at JRMC and my wife was getting ready to have the first child, and I thought, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not the star, <laughs> but I'm kind of the co-star. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the daddy. And, and she, didn't want, she didn't want the kid's daddy. You know who she wanted? Her mama. Yeah. All of a sudden, I took a back seat. You know, I, all, all she wanted to see was mama. Same thing when my grandkids were born. When the first one was born, Christy, all she wanted was mama. I, you know, the rest of y'all clear out. I want mama here. Do we think that Mary would be any different? Don't you think Mary would have liked to have had the comfort and the, the security of knowing that mama was there? The comfort and the security of being in her own home. The comfort and security of, uh, of knowing, you know, that, that whenever it came time for the child to be born, she wouldn't be on the back of some donkey going 90 miles up north. But yet they went. Now it's possible that they knew the, the prophecy in Micah chapter 5, but it's equally possibly possible that they did not. And in fact, if you go back to Luke chapter 2, beginning in about verse 1, you're going to find out that God was providentially working, for he had decided that Caesar Augustus, who is a pagan, who is not interested in filling, fulfilling biblical uh, prophecy, uh, listen, Caesar Augustus is not interested in, 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 in stamping, if you will, and validating the claims of the king of Israel. He doesn't want any challengers to the throne. Neither does Herod. And neither does Quirinius, the one who uh, was in charge when this first taxation and census was taken. They didn't do this to make sure that Joseph and Mary was in Bethlehem. It's rather interesting, not only did they work in such a way, but the timing of all this. Now, I, I, I kind of, you know, do this with a little bit of fear and trepidation because, uh, you know, everybody, uh, most everybody at least, I'll put it that way, thinks that, well, the birth of Christ was at that point where you go from A.D. to B.C. And that's not, or B.C. to A.D., and that's, that's not quite exactly right. But what is interesting is if you look at the secular history you're going to find out that Rome started a census and they did them every 14 years, and this was the first one. We know when the second one happened. The second one happened in 8 B.C. Now, if you back up from 8 B.C., uh, I'm sorry, 8 A.D., and you back up the 14 years, you're going to get about 6 B.C. And yet, and yet, throughout Judea, 
The taxation was not done at that point in time. Herod was dragging his feet. And Rome is allowing this to take place. And God is working in ways that nobody ever saw. Nobody ever thought about. God is at work. And here's the thing, y'all. God's at work to bring salvation to you and I. And he's just, he's, he's just working. Causing everything to fall in place. Just like he had prophesied and just like he had promised to the people of Israel. I want to center your thoughts this morning on that idea that this day is born unto you in the city of David a Savior. So I ask you to consider three thoughts with me this morning. Number one, we will consider the thought that salvation has come. Salvation has come. All through this time, God has been working and, and, and preparing for and, and directing and guiding, not, over, not only in the decisions of men, but in a timetable, so that when the fullness of time has come, that Christ would come. Throughout the, the Scriptures, we find that salvation was going to come and the baby Jesus. You say, now wait a minute, uh, isn't a Savior a New Testament term? Isn't that a New Testament idea? Isn't a new Savior a, a New Testament concept that Jesus would come and He would save and that He would be the Savior? How would these shepherds know that He was a Savior? How would uh, people of the Old Testament know that He was a Savior? I would have you know this morning that God coming and bringing salvation is not a New Testament concept only. It is an Old Testament concept as well. I think sometimes we get the idea that, that we have a God in the New Testament that's loving and merciful and, and forgiving and interested in saving and that the God of the Old Testament is some mean, vicious, strike you dead with bolts of lightning. And I would tell you according to scriptures today, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God and there's no difference in them. And I would tell you today that the people of the Old Testament were saved the same way way is the people of the New Testament and that is by looking to the God of salvation through faith and trusting in his grace and mercy there is no difference between the God of the old and the God of the new these the, the shepherds they knew Simeon and others that were born in the Old Testament times were expecting the arrival knowing that God was going to come and that God would be their Savior. Israel knew God as wise. They knew Him as powerful. The, the, the exodus from, from Egypt proved that. They knew Him as providential for the way that He had worked in Joseph's life and the way that He worked in Moses' life. Israel knew that God was, was, was understanding and God was long-suffering, but I want you to know Old Testament Israel knew that God was a Savior as well. And I want you to know this, that they knew what I hope you know today, that not only is Jehovah, not only is Yahweh, as they would pronounce it, not only was the God of Israel a God of salvation, but they understood what you need to understand this morning, that he was the only God of salvation. 
When you study, when you study the religions of mankind, and see, therein is the problem to begin with. Those religions are of mankind's origin. Our religion is not of mankind's origin. In fact, the Bible says that the, that the doctrines that are taught within the Word of God are not of private interpretation. And that doesn't mean to up to your interpretation or mine. That means that they are not of man's invention. They came about because God revealed Himself through His Word. But if you study the religions of mankind, you're going to find that there are no other gods that are interested in saving. Go with me, if you will, and think back to the prophets of Baal. There upon Mount Carmel, 450 of those prophets. The place that Brother Bill and Sister Linda and Sister Donna Lee will be in a few months. There on Mount Carmel. And there on that mountainside, you got the prophet Elijah standing against a bloodthirsty king and queen of Israel. And those, those prophets of Baal that work for particularly the queen. And if you remember the scene, Elijah says, let's have a challenge. Elijah says, I'm interested in finding out who the true God is, and I'm interested in finding out which God brings salvation. So he says, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have a challenge today, and, and we're going to build altars, and we're going to put sacrifices on the altar, and we're going to pray to our gods, and whichever God responds by sending fire and burning the sacrifice, let that God be God. And the prophets of Baal thought, well, that sounds like a good plan to us, and so they built their altars. And Elijah said, y'all go first. Y'all go first. And so they began to call out, and they called out, and they called out, and they cried out, and they prayed, and they begged, and they pleaded, and nothing. Hour after hour of nothingness. I can just see Elijah starting to get a grin on his face and kind of, you know, <laughs> this is comical if it wasn't so sad. Sad that you trust in a God that's not even a God. A God that can't save, nor would save if he could. And this is proven because they keep crying out to him and he won't answer. So they begin to cut themselves and, and do harm to themselves. And they begin to dance around. They begin to do all manner of things trying to get Baal's attention. And Baal never responds. There's a reason why Elijah kind of began to make fun. Maybe your God's, I don't know, maybe your God got tired today and he's taking his afternoon nap. Maybe, maybe God's out of the office today. Maybe God's on vacation and you've got to talk to you know, a, a subordinate God. I don't know. What, what's the deal with your God? The deal with their God is He is no God. That's the deal with their God. And Elijah, after he's kind of poked a little fun to make a point to all those that believed in Baal, began to tell everybody to pour water all over the altar and all over the sacrifice, and dig a trench around it, and fill the trench with water. And Elijah just simply prayed, and God sent fire from heaven, lapped up all the water, dried up all the water in the altar and on the sacrifice, and consumed the sacrifice. And it was proven that day that there is only one God, and that God is interested in saving. You go on and you look in other examples, and you're going to find the God Molech. You see, the, the god Baal seems to be just kind of uninterested, if you will, as that story would go. Uh, and of course, it's not that he's uninterested, it's that he doesn't live. But, but throughout man's religions, you find gods that are just kind of apathetic, uninterested. They, they created the world according to their religions, wound it up tight and turned it loose and 
Now they're off doing something else. But then you go from those kind of gods to the other kind of gods that are just outright violent and bloodthirsty. God's like Moloch. Here's a God that says, I'm not interested in saving anybody, but here's what I'm interested in. I want you to take your firstborn. And I want you to go and build an altar. And I want you to lay that firstborn child on that altar. And I want you to sacrifice that child to me. Does that sound like a God of salvation to you? That's not a God interested in saving. That's a God interested in taking lives. So throughout man's religions, you find gods, and not one of them. I don't care which one you call, which one you claim, which one you lay uh, your, your trust and your faith in. Let me tell you this. There is one God who robed himself in flesh, who came to this earth to die for you. And his name ain't Muhammad, and his name is not this, and his name is not that. It's not Molech. It is not Baal. It is not Confucius. It's not, listen to me, it is the God of Israel, Jehovah. Salvation has come. Because God, the one true God, is a God who in his character and in his nature is a God that's interested in salvation. Not only do we see that salvation has come, but salvation has come in the person of Jesus Christ. That was the message. The message to the angels that day. This day, in the city of David, you will find a baby. It is this baby that brings salvation. You see, salvation was the plan of God the Father. Salvation was the mission of God the Son. So here Jesus comes, and the announcement is made to these shepherds. Unto you is born this day. We bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to you and all the people. You ever thought about that announcement that night? You see, if you know anything about uh, the, the, the culture of that day, you're going to know that Shepherds were considered to be untrustworthy and unreliable. As a matter of fact, Brother Charles, if you and I were involved in some type of, a, of an accident there in, in downtown you know, uh, Bethlehem, and, and all there was was shepherds that witnessed it, you and I have to go to court and we have no witnesses because you can't trust the witness of a, uh, of a shepherd. They were seen as being unreliable, crooked, and just downright the lowest class of a Hebrew to walk the face of the earth. Does it not blow your mind that the night that salvation came in the person of Jesus Christ, the angels didn't go to Jerusalem and hover over the temple and say, now listen, Gamaliel, or listen, uh, Anna, the high priest, or listen, uh, this and that and the other, listen to me now. Today is born for you. But rather, the shepherds go and they appear, or the angels go and they appear to the shepherds. So, well, what are you getting at? 
from the very beginning, Christ is making it known. It's not about your religiousness. It's not about your self-righteousness. It's about the one who will humble themselves before me and just accept who I am and what I'm here to do. And the world still can't get past that, can they? The world is still trying to figure out how can we get around him and make it about us and what we've done. And from the very beginning, Jesus was making sure that everybody understood. I'm here, not for the religious elite, but I am here for the common man. I'm here for the, the rich. I'm here for those that are high. I'm here for all. But you must humble yourself and come to me in faith and repentance. Or I'll do you no good. Salvation had come, but salvation had come in the person of Jesus Christ and of Him alone. And so the announcement came. You know, you would think you might would go here or there and yonder to find a certain group. But He appears here. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to me that these shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, back in those days, it's kind of like, you remember back uh, 20 years ago, you could leave Little Rock on I-30, and, and you knew when you left Little Rock, because you drove through a little bit of a, a, of a, you know, undeveloped area, and then all of a sudden you'd come into Bryant. And you knew when you left Bryant, and you kept coming, and you, you'd go into Benton. And you knew when you left Benton that you'd, you know, and, and, and so, it, but it's not that way anymore. And, and that's the way it is with Bethlehem. Now, Sister Donna, remember when we left Jerusalem, there's really not any indication that you've left and gone anywhere other than when you go into Bethlehem, uh, you're not allowed to take your Jewish guide with you anymore because their own city and their own nation is not available to them. But back then, it would have been a little bit different. But what I'm wanting you to see is here's these shepherds, and they're watching over flocks, and they're right there on the outskirts of Jerusalem. wonder why... Wonder why you would raise lambs just right outside of Jerusalem. You see, when the Jews were going to offer a sacrifice, they offered a lamb in most of their sacrifices. That lamb had to represent Jesus Christ. So therefore, that lamb couldn't have any defects. It couldn't have any broken bones. It couldn't have any disease. It had to be as pure, as spotless, and as, as healthy as at all possible. So if you live way down in South Israel or North Israel and you're going to take your lamb to Jerusalem, you've got to travel over all these rocky areas and that lamb may trip and fall and, and stumble and break a leg or something. And now he's no longer suitable sacrifice. So here were shepherds outside of Jerusalem raising stock for one purpose and one purpose only. What would that be? So that you could come from your hometown to Jerusalem, buy one of these lambs and have an animal that you didn't have to worry about getting injured in the trip. You see, these shepherds understood the idea of a lamb and the blood sacrifice. And they were raising lambs to provide that blood sacrifice that would atone for sin, cover over sin. And they did that in hopes and in anticipation of the Lamb of God whose blood would not atone, cover sins, but whose blood would forgive and remove sins.
unto you is born this day in the city of David. And it became very obvious that salvation had come and that salvation had come in Christ Jesus. And then finally, I would ask you to consider not only had salvation come, and not only had salvation come in Christ Jesus, but here's the greatest part of it all. Salvation had come to everybody that had United States citizenship. Salvation came only to the Jew. Now, the Bible says it came to the Jew first, but what? But then also to the Greek. You see, salvation is not for somebody whose skin is a particular color, who has a particular uh, upbringing, who was born here and there and yonder in this time or in that time. But the message of the angels here tonight, you will go and you'll see a star shining and when you come to the, what the star is shining over, you're going to find a baby. A baby that had been born tonight. It will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and here will be the sign that you will know that that is the baby that I'm sending you to. He will be lying in a manger in a feeding trough and there you will find God living among you who is bringing salvation. Who is bringing salvation to, uh, in the person of His Son Jesus and who is bringing salvation to all who would accept that wonderful gift. No wonder, no wonder we see the angels forgetting about their Baptist ways. No wonder we see angels that are not concerned about what somebody thinks about them, but we see angels that are shouting, Glory to God in the highest! For God, the only God of salvation, has come. And He has offered salvation to all people. I ask you this morning, have you received that gift? This time of year, most everybody knows the story of the baby in the manger. But do you know the baby in the manger that grew up to die on a cross? Do you know the baby in the manger that grew up and died on a cross was buried? Do you know the baby that's lying in a manger grew up and died? on a cross, was buried, and rose again. And he carried his blood to the Father. And he said, Father, this is for the sins of the whole world. Of every age, of every tribe, of every nation, of every tongue, of every culture, and of every generation. I want you to know this morning, there are no limitations on God's saving other than what you place on. I believe with all of my heart that if every beating heart that has ever been on this earth, that is on this earth, or that will ever be on this earth, if every beating heart would come to God for salvation, guess how many of them would be saved? Every single 
last one without exception. The message is to all people. Did you notice that they said we bring a message of good tidings and great news? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. I can assure you there's only one way that peace and true enough goodwill are going to rule the day. And that's when every human being is a born-again child of God and lives like a born-again child of God. Outside of that, we will continue to get up and turn on the news as we drink our morning coffee and find out that there's been another senseless killing. We're going to continue to read reports of all the death and destruction and all the violence that fills our land. King Jesus, as Savior, is the only way to peace and goodwill toward all men. Father, we come to you today. A lot of coughing, a lot of hacking as we tried to sing. A lot of bad notes hit here, there, yonder, Father. I, I hit a bunch of them, but it's not about us impressing people with the abilities that we may have had. But Father, it's about announcing yet one more time. As the angels did years ago, salvation has come. And it's not come in our own religion, our baptisms, our doing this, our doing that, or our worship of a false god. Salvation has come in none other than Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And Father, what a precious thought it is that I could be saved because salvation is offered to all mankind. I pray today if there's one that does not know you, they've never received the gift that you offer them. Father, may they not leave here today until they know you as Savior. We pray that you've gotten honor. We pray that you've gotten glory. Father, we pray that we've worshipped you in such a way that you accept it. And you are happy. And Father, we pray now that you would just bless in this invitation time. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.